morning, Westridge. Wow, oh, that was a pretty good response. Not used to that from second service. That was a wake, wake up and smell the whiskey song. In case you haven't already awakened this morning. We've come to the part in our passage where today we're talking about the virtue of self-control. Um, and I think of all the virtues, this probably is most misunderstood in most churches. So that's why I'm going to set you straight today. Okay? Um, this issue of control. Some people are control freaks. Any of you here? You know who you are. Yeah, thank you for being honest. I don't know if you ever had times in your life when you felt out of control. When I think of that, I, I think of the last time I went snow skiing. And I'll tell you why it was the last time. I, I, I like this idea of snow skiing. I like the clothes. I like the thing in the lodge afterwards. Um, it's kind of cool. But I got started late in life, and I just, I just never could get the hang of it for some reason. I don't know why. I mean, being you know, a world-class athlete like I am, you'd think it'd come easy. But this last time, last time I went snow skiing, I'm going down the side of the hill, and I mean, I just lost control. I just, I, I didn't know where, and there was a little, little man up, a, up ahead, down the slope, and so I just started screaming at him, I'm out of control, I'm out of control, get watch out, and I ran right over the top of him. <laughs> I thought, I got to quit this, but that's what happens usually when you're out of control, isn't it? Someone get hurt. Maybe you've had times like that, maybe you've, uh, maybe you've felt as out of control as Jay Cutler after he throws his fourth interception. In the first quarter. <laughs> That's coming up. It's right around, the, right around the corner. Maybe you have felt as out of control as Mariah Carey in an Amish settlement. No. <laughs> yeah. Try to get that picture out of your head. Or maybe you felt as out of control as Donald Trump giving a speech to the hair club for men. <laughs> that maybe is even worse picture than the Mariah Carey one. We frequently want to know who's in control. And we may even label other people as controlling. And at times when we feel like Major Tom, we want to call ground control. Some people practice birth control. Others, not so much. But most of us still struggle with this most difficult kind of control, self-control. And any conversation about a better you is going to involve self-control. Here's what the Bible says about the subject. I want to redirect you to a 2 Timothy passage. It goes like this. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline, or self-control. Now, I happen to think there's a lot of confusion about the distinction between self-control and allowing God to be in control. So which is it? Am I in control? Or is God in control? If God's in control, why am I told that self-control is a virtue? If the Bible encourages us to be spirit-led, how is it that self-control is still a value? And this is where the confusion enters in. And I see uh, a lot of what I would call false spirituality in the American church today. It's a spirituality that sits back, procrastinates, is lazy, then blames God or other people for the ensuing misfortunes. This kind of spirituality is more magical thinking than it is spirituality. This magical thinking, bathed in artificial Christianese language, views the Bible 
as a magic charm and God as a genie in a bottle waiting for us to hit upon the right incantation before he does our bidding. It's true, God is sovereign. And the everyday definition for non-theologians for the sovereignty of God is he does what he wants to do when he wants to do it. For example, I suppose uh, if God wants to rain down gold on your front porch to increase your, your wealth, he can do that. But until the coins start hitting the ground, I suggest you get up and go to work every morning. The fact is, God grants us responsibility for our life. That doesn't mean you're to blame for everything that happened or that you're accountable for everything that happens, but you are responsible. Now, you might think about the things that happened to you in your childhood, the most vulnerable time in your life, and say, surely I'm not responsible for that. Today, as an adult, you are. You have the the ability to choose your reaction to those childhood events. And true spirituality includes self-control and accepts this truth. God grants me responsibility for my life and the things that happen in my life. Now, it's true, God adds His blessings, maybe a few miracles along the way, the gift of good friends, for example. But under God, I am responsible for my life. And above all, I am not a victim. Now, I don't want to get off on a rant here, unless you encourage me to. Okay. Thanks. I just wanted one person to encourage me, and that's what I got, so that's all I need. This is not a democracy here. Much of American Christianity likes to pretend that they are victims in what they call secular culture. Culture doesn't hate you because you're a Christian, because to hate someone you have to take them seriously. And most of culture does not take the American church seriously. What the world has for American Christianity is contempt when on that rare occasion they think about us at all. Those who practice self-control, that's the end of the rant, those who practice self-control stop saying, why are they doing this to me? And start saying, why am I doing this to myself? That holds true for any relational problem you're currently having. Your job, your marriage, your physical, intellectual, spiritual condition. Your difficulties are not the fault of climate change, organized religion, your in-laws, or the Cubs' ability to disappoint you every year for over a century. I'm just trying to help you get ready. That's all I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to help help you get ready. I am responsible. Now let me give you a very concrete illustration of the way this works. Take a look around you here this morning. That would require some of you waking up before you did that. But, I mean, this beautiful building that we're in, the fact that you're here, the fact that you're able to enjoy this Sunday morning experience with the exception of my my gig. How'd this all happen? How'd this come to be? Did this building just drop, drop down out of heaven and seats popped up out of the ground and you magically appeared in them? No, it started with a vision that God gave the pastors and a handful of people. If that vision had not been present, this church would not be here. And so what was God's part? His part was to provide the vision to the right people at the right time. 
What's the job of those who receive the vision? To listen, to practice self-control, to bring the vision to life. And so years ago, people, some of whom you'll never know, and some of whom are still here, by the way, had a God-given vision. They listened, they practiced self-control, they took responsibility to make that vision come true, they planned, they strategized, they were financially generous, they worked long hours with little thanks and no guarantees. Those are all spiritual things. And so today, this church is God's gift to us. But years ago, there were people listening to a vision, practicing self-control, accepting responsibility. Self-control is about deciding for ourselves the direction we want our story to take. It's about writing the kind of story we think we're meant to write, not the story someone else wants us to write. Self-control people write their own stories. They conceive their own plot. And they decide when it's time to wrap up a chapter and begin a new one. If we have self-control, we don't tailor our stories to fit someone else's plot. We don't write our stories to fit the script dictated by others. Now, it is true that there is much in our life over which we had no control, right? The genetic blueprint passed down to us, didn't didn't get to call that. The environment in which we were raised, we didn't get to decide that. And so there were things over which we did not have a say, and as a result, there are some limits for us. And I'll just be candid with you and tell you that, that my, at, at this point in my life, my two early dreams will likely not come true. With a surgically repaired Achilles tendon and a two-inch vertical leap, I'll probably not be a professional basketball player in the NBA. Although, as I look at the Bulls lineup this year, I think there's a shot. I mean, really, I mean, come on, really, D-Wade? I mean, you... So, and it's also doubtful that I'll ever be the front man for a rock and roll band. Though with a new generation of geezer rock shows, I'm holding out hope there even. You don't always get what you want, but, you know, sometimes you get what you need. If I have self-control, I can take the raw materials given me and end up writing a good story, no matter how uncompromising my early beginnings were. For example, no matter what another does to me, I can always push the pause button before I react. Self-control is about taking responsibility of the direction our lives are taking. Now for the paradox. Are you ready for this? The paradox is we get control of our lives, ultimately, not by willpower. That's why it's not working for you. We get control of our lives, ultimately, not by willpower, but by surrender. And so let me suggest to you a couple of areas of surrender that I hope will contribute to your self-control. Area number one is we need to surrender the need to win the approval of other people. One certain way to thwart self-control is to deliver our lives over to other people's approval. Living a life of others in control puts you on the treadmill going nowhere because, you know why? We can never get quite enough approval to satisfy us. Every pat on the back leaves us needing more the next time. And the chase becomes very depressing. Hot pursuit of approval leads us finally into despair. 
And the time comes when we get too tired for the hunt. And we submit to the hunch inside of us that we aren't good enough for anyone to approve of us. At least, not anyone that matters. And when we get to this point, we can sink into a minor or even major depression. And that is a loss of control. In this discipline of surrender, we admit to ourselves that we've tried to get control of our lives by controlling other people's opinion of us, and then we move on to the practice of surrender. Let me suggest you repeat over and over again, alone and aloud, this phrase. And I mean literally, aloud. God's love and my integrity give me freedom to live without other people's approval. The very repetition of the words becomes a means of grace that brings them to life. Area number two. We surrender by letting go of the unfair wounds that we did not deserve. Someone you trusted betrayed you. Someone you loved brutalized you. Someone you depended on left you. And you're deeply hurt. Even this many years later. But it's not only the hurt we remember, it's the feeling of outrage at being wronged. And so there's the wrong that was perpetrated on us, and then there's the feeling of outrage that I have about it occurring at all. Two different things. Hurt and wrong, the memory is like a video permanently installed in our minds. We can't turn it on, we can't turn it off. We're condemned to let it play its wretched reruns inside our minds like a bad episode of Full House. So when a bitter memory or a wrongful pain takes control, guess what? We lose control. We lose control. So why do we hang on to it? One reason is that nothing on earth makes us feel more virtuous than remembered wrongs. Few things give us such perverse pleasure. When we continue to remember and store up anger, here's what happens. We gloss over our own wrongdoing. Because we're caught up in the the feeling of outrage over this thing happening to me that never should have happened to me. And when that happens, I don't see myself in the mirror anymore. And I conveniently forget that I've done some outrageous things also. The only way back to self-control is the way of forgiveness. When we forgive... We surrender our basic human right to get even with the person who hurt us. But this surrender is not a defeat, it's a win. Because when we forgive an ancient wrong, we set a prisoner free and discover discover that the prisoner we set free is us. We've taken control back from the wrongdoer. When we forgive, we dance again to the melody of healing. And when we forgive, we reclaim control of our lives from the slavery of a hurting memory. God can forgive wholesale. We have to do it retail. We forgive in increments. It's more like reinvesting small dividends each month than it is hitting a big payday. It just doesn't happen all at once. It's ongoing and never ending. But forgiveness, like anything else, does get easier with practice. This I am certain of. You can never have self-control until you forgive. One last quick point. There's a big difference between self-determination and self-control, what the Bible talks about 
self-control. Self-determination is gritting your teeth, putting your head down, and running headfirst through any barrier you see. Come hell or high water, I'm going to make this happen. Any of you ever tried to do that when you come up against an obstacle? I've tried it more times than I care to remember, and every time it results in bad teeth and a headache. Self-control is about regaining the control that God has given you, that He intends for you to have under His guidance. Self-control contributes to a better you. There was a famous test in the 1960s called the marshmallow test. And it was conducted by psychologists at Stanford University. The psychologists tested four-year-old children for self-control. The children were each given a marshmallow, and they were told, you can eat this anytime you want. And then they were told, but if you waited just 15 minutes, just 15 minutes, we'll give you another marshmallow. You can probably guess what happened if you've ever been around a four-year-old. The majority gobbled up the marshmallow right away. But a few, about a third, waited and they won the prize of a second marshmallow. Now here's what's interesting. They followed these these four-year-olds throughout their life. Longitudinal study. And follow-up studies showed that the results correlated well with success levels later in life. Reviews concluded that self-control is correlated with various positive life outcomes. Now, while the test measured a degree of self-control, it didn't explain how to get it. Does better education or nutrition or technology give us self-control? Those are all good things, and those have all improved. But would anyone say in this political year of 2016 that our ability to live self-controlled lives has increased? The only way we can live with awareness and transparency and self-control is to ask God... And to believe God that he gives us a spirit of power, of love, of self-control. We can't control the world, but we can control how we think about it. Maybe right now, you're deciding whether to hang on to a past wound or to let it go. You're deciding whether you'd better lash out or chill out. You're trying to decide to follow God's vision for your life or someone else's expectation for your life. I don't know what the marshmallow is for you. But this much I do know. It's juicy. And you'd like nothing more than a sugary, gelatinous morsel. And you want it now please, right now. Revenge, now. Approval, now. Justice, now. I want all the accounts settled and I want it now. I'm not going to wait 15 minutes. You can pick up that marshmallow of blame and say it's someone else's fault. You want to pick up the marshmallow of others' approval and you're willing to compromise anything in your life to get it. 
Because after all, it'd be so tasty to ingest the marshmallow of unfair wrongs perpetrated against me. The spirit of self-control that God gives says, there's a better you. You're not a victim. There's a better you. One that can wait. One that can walk away. One that can let it go. One that can put it down. One that can take responsibility. Tell yourself this week. I don't have to eat that marshmallow.